Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Hallelujah. We've been talking about only believe during these Wednesday night services and tonight I'm going to continue. This is lesson three, only believe, but just quickly a review. The last of what we talked about last week under the leadership of Moses, we discussed the fact that they failed to enter into the promised land because of unbelief. That was the official reason why they failed to enter in. And in that promised land, of course, they had everything you could imagine, a land flowing with milk and honey where he would defend them, protect them, provide for them, etc. Well, God then had to raise up Joshua and under the leadership of Joshua, they went from unbelief to faith. So you could say that they were a generation of faith, people of faith, a new breed that thought differently, believed differently, spoke differently, acted differently than the others. But what did the Holy Spirit teach them through Joshua? That was the question that we ended with and we answered it by sharing these particular points found in Joshua chapter 5 and chapter 6. And in those two chapters, here's what we see. And you can just imagine Joshua like, let's say, a coach at halftime trying to excite the players to get them to perform. You can just see him giving a strong, powerful, motivational speech and saying to them, look, the enemy's been defeated. Our fathers came out of Egypt, you know that, with a strong hand of God, and all enemies were defeated. You saw the Egyptians, they were defeated. And you saw them no more. We have a covenant with God. Go back and remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and what God did with Abraham and made a covenant with him. A covenant that would be an anchor for their soul. That they would know and believe that God cannot lie. That he will do exactly what he said he would do. Remember your deliverance. How you came out of Egypt. Remember that. The signs, the wonders, the miracles. And all that God did to bring you to this place of the promised land. Remember, it's a new day. It's been 40 years. You've been eating manna, drinking water from a rock. But it's a new day that's dawned. All that's going to end. It's time for us to get up, rise up, and go forward and take the promised land. Unlike our fathers, unlike what they did, we believe to see the hand of God. We believe to see the glory of God. We are going in to get what belongs to us, and remember this, we're not alone. We're not going in there on our own strength like our fathers thought. They said they couldn't do it. And why did they say they couldn't do it? Because there were walled cities, because there were giants in the land. But you know what? That's not even relevant. What's relevant is the fact that God said, you're not alone. I'm going in there with you. I'm going there before you. I told you I would drive out the inhabitants of the land. No matter how big they are, I would get you in. And then also he went on to say, and look, he's already given us the land anyhow. He said it belongs to us. It's ours. Now, whatever he says to you to do, do it. You know, our fathers, they didn't do it. They got close, but they stopped. They said, we can't do it. It's impossible for us to do it. So they were kept out. Now, we're a new breed of people. We're a generation of faith. We believe the hand of God is greater than any foe we can face in this life. So as we continue our study, do whatever he says to do, even if it's illogical. Look at John's gospel, chapter 2, and let's talk about something that's illogical just for a little bit. This is Jesus at the marriage feast of Cana. His mother saith to the servants, whatsoever he saith to you, unto you, do it. Nike didn't coin that phrase. Just do it. Mary did. Do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim and he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants withdrew the water new 
The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning to set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now, what's important to know about this particular miracle is the fact that these individuals that were used by Jesus, I'm sure had a battle or struggle in their minds. Think about what they had to go through. See, they're the ones that are taking the water pots. They're the ones that are going to fill them with water. They're the ones that's going to take it to the governor of the feast. They're the ones that will stand there when they taste the water they pray is turned into wine. Can you imagine the emotional struggle? Can you imagine what they would have believed along the way? Can you imagine what they were saying to each other as they were doing this? Why are we doing this? This is crazy. It's illogical to think that you can take water and turn it into wine. And remember, he hadn't done any miracles yet. This is the first miracle that Jesus did among the people. And so they had nothing to really relate to up to this point. But they went ahead and did it. They acted on his word. And of course, the miracle occurred. But my point is this. When we understand the operation of faith, let's remember this. It starts with our thoughts. Right thinking or wrong thinking. Right believing or wrong believing. Right speaking or wrong speaking produces right having or wrong having. So it's important we understand those steps because that's how faith works. Now remember, you go back and see what they did under the leadership of, of Moses and what do we discover? That their thinking was wrong. Their believing was wrong. Their speaking was wrong. And then of course their having was wrong. So let's look at that. Look in the book of Numbers and chapter 14 and notice verses 26 through 30. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me saying to them as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. That needs repeated. As you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, that's what they said, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. Doubtless he shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. All right. Here we have God responding to their unbelief. But to paint the picture we're going to show how their thinking was wrong. How their believing was wrong, how their speaking was wrong, which resulted in their having what was wrong. I don't think they wanted to spend 40 years in the wilderness. I don't think they wanted to die by the plague, the leaders, and so on. So let's look at Deuteronomy and let's talk about wrong thinking. Their thinking was very, very wrong. But Deuteronomy gives us another picture of the same scenario. In chapter 1, verse 21. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. This is Moses speaking. As the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee, fear not, neither be discouraged. And you came near unto me, every one of you, and said, we will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well, and I took 12 men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain and came into the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. 
And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Notwithstanding, ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. Their thinking was wrong. Their thinking led them into convincing Moses that they needed to go and spy out the land. God was not the one behind spying out the land. It seems like he was in numbers, but he really wasn't. You could almost say it's like this. Just as Israel wanted their own king, and God said really he didn't want that, but they begged for a king, so what did he say? Go ahead, have a king. And remember with Sarah and Hagar, remember that story? And how Sarah convinced Abraham to go ahead and have a child with Hagar? Well, these individuals did the same thing with Moses. They convinced him the right thing to do is for us to go into the land and spy it out. So that we could know exactly which way that we should go up and take the city. That's what they thought. That's what they were thinking. But did you know by their doing that, it did not breed faith at all? And God knew what would happen. So they were thinking wrong, so they went ahead, had their way. But number two, notice their wrong believing. Because their wrong thinking led to wrong believing. Now as we continue looking at Deuteronomy once again. Verse 27, and you murmured in your heart, in your tents, and said, because the Lord hated us, he had brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us unto the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying, the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Then I said unto you, dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that you went until ye came into this place. Yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in in fire by night to show you by what way you should go and in a cloud by day. What do they believe? That God hated them. What do they believe? That God wanted to destroy them. They believed that the walled cities were impenetrable. They believed the giants were too big and they were like bugs in the sight of the giants. They believed all these things. Their thinking was off. Their thinking was wrong. But do you know if they didn't think to go spy out the land, they wouldn't even seen the giants and they wouldn't have seen the walled cities? Nothing to relate to. Besides all that, how about this? Their excuse for going up to the land was what? We need to find a strategy here so we know exactly which way to go. Wait a minute. He's been guiding you by a fire by night and a cloud by day every single day. And you didn't move until the glory moved. Isn't that true? So therefore, there was no need for them to go spy out the land to find out which way they should enter in. And Moses said, I told you that he guided you with a fire by night and a cloud by day. Why wouldn't he guide you in the place where you ought to go? But you see, they didn't believe that. They had to satisfy themselves, their own interests. So their thinking was wrong, which led to wrong believing on their part. And because they believed wrong, of course, they did their own thing. But look at that verse 32 again. Moses tried to change their mind, to try to change their thinking, to get them to, by faith, believe that God would go before them. Yet in this thing, you did not believe the Lord your God. Not Moses, not me, he's saying, you didn't believe the Lord your God. Well, let me ask you a question. 
If God says, I bring you to a land that flows with milk and honey, does it? If he says it's a land where I'll drive out the inhabitants of the land, will he? If he said, my angel will go before you, and no man would be able to stand in front of you or before you, is that true? What was the need to send out spies then? To see if God was lying? There was no need to do that. But you see, they thought wrong. They believed wrong. And guess what? That led to wrong speaking. Did it not? Okay, let's go. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 34. And the Lord heard the voice of your words. The Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth or angry and swear saying, they're not going to enter into the promised land. He heard the voice of their words. He heard them talking in their tents. He heard them talking in their cars, on their camels, on a jet, in your house. He heard the voice of their words. And what they were saying was completely against what God said. Look at the book of Numbers, so let's pull this out again. He heard the voice of their words, and trust me, he was not happy with what they had to say. So, say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. What a powerful statement. That's what's going to happen to you. And don't blame me. That's going to happen to you because that's what you thought. That's what you believed. That's what you said. And that's what you're going to get. But look at verse 36 and 37. And the men. Now here we go. Which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land. Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. So the 12 spies spot out the land. Two came back with faith in their hearts. They weren't moved by what they heard or saw. But then you got the 10 leaders, and these 10 leaders are influencing their tribes. There's no way, there's no way. It's impossible for us to take the land. There's giants in the land, and they just kept on and on and on. You know what? When your leader is telling you the wrong thing, it will affect you in a negative way if you buy into it. And that's exactly what they were doing. They got to the point that when Joshua and Caleb said, wait, hold on just for a moment and try to direct their attention toward God, what happened? They wanted to stone them with stones. Isn't that something? They wanted to say, they're bred for us. We can take the land. God's on our side. Don't fear the people of the land. And they picked up stones and they were ready to stone those two to death. Think about that. They were so upset with them. And God had to manifest his glory to protect them from being stoned, is what happened. Well, he could never get them to believe. As a result, they got what they said. These men that were the leaders that spoke, that died by the plague, and you know me, I had to look it up to find out the plague. Many of you know it, maybe some of you don't. I just wondered what the plague was. What was the plague that they died by? And you can find this in John Gill's uh, commentary on these verses. The plague was worms ate out their navel and their tongues and jaws. Mouth, heart. Heart, mouth. That was the plague. Those leaders were judged immediately. They didn't live out 40 years. They immediately died by this plague where these worms ate out their tongues, jaws, and navel, heart, and mouth. See, they believed wrong. They spoke wrong. 
and what they believed and what they said affected all the people and delayed, think about this, the work of God for 40 years. As a result, 40 years delayed. And so they were punished immediately, they were judged immediately, and they all died. Okay, number four. Now what we see here is they had wrong. Wrong having, I titled it. Look at verse 35 through 38 now. Deuteronomy 1. God swear, and in some places in a margin, like one of my marginal renderings of this, when it, before this when it said God swore, I swear whether or not they will, it says he lifted up his hand. You know someone swears by, by an oath? That God lifted up his hand, he swore and said, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give, notice, I swear to give unto your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he had trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. Also the Lord was angry with me for your sakes. Don't you love this about Moses? It's your fault. Saying, thou also shalt not go in thither. But Joshua the son of Nun which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither. Encourage him. For he shall cause Israel, notice, to inherit it. Well, how is he going to cause Israel to inherit it? To pull them out of the unbelief and instill faith in their hearts and lives. That's how he was going to do it. But God had to take all this time to raise up this generation to eradicate the doubt and unbelief and instill faith within their hearts so that the second time they would come to the edge of the promised land, they would not be afraid of the enemy or the walls. When Hebrews chapter 3, as we see the parallel here, Verse 17, we understand how it applies to our lives. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 17. If we can pull that up. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Right on through chapter 4 and verse 3. He was grieved with them. And we see that they couldn't enter into the promised land. Because of what? Unbelief. Can you back it up and do all the verses from 17 through 4? 3. But whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned? Whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Yes, he was upset with them. And why was he upset with them? Because they would never get to a place of believing. He said, when will it ever be that you will believe my word? You saw my signs. You saw my miracles. You saw the work of my mighty hand. And yet you will not believe my word. When I tell you that you go stand there and I will open up a way for you. I will get you into that promised land. I'll see to it that you overcome the giants because I'll go there before you and I'll drive them out with an angel. But they would not do it. They wouldn't hear it. Fear paralyzed them. Fear crippled them, and they had no courage whatsoever to stand before the enemy or stand before the walls. And that's a sad scenario when you consider the fact that they saw the ten plagues, that they saw the Red Sea part, that they saw water from a rock, that they saw manna every day come from heaven, all the signs, the cloud by day, the fire by night, they saw all that, but yet they would not believe when the time came for them just to believe. In other words, stop anything else. Just believe. So, with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sin, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. Notice, that believed not. So, we see that they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. Not because they weren't good enough but because they refuse to do something as simple as believe. Well, let us, chapter 4, verse 1, let us, now see, now it applies to us. Do what? Therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you 
should seem to come short of it. This is the rest of the finished work of Christ. That promised land is a type of the finished work of Christ that they were to enter into where God would take sickness and disease away from the midst of them, fulfill the number of their days, bless their bread, bless their water. No enemy could stand before them. He'd be an enemy to their enemies, an adversary to their adversaries, and so on. Well, for unto us was the gospel priest as well as them. But the word preached did not profit them or benefit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Notice we don't work for it. We believe for it. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So God has always provided a place for his people to experience rest. On the seventh day, God rested. Man was to rest on the Sabbath day. Jesus is that rest. He is our Sabbath. And we're to enter into the rest that he has provided for us. Come unto me, all ye that labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So this is talking about the finished work of Christ that we have to embrace or that we have to believe in. Well, just as Joshua instilled faith within our hearts, I believe today's preacher is to do the same thing and instill faith in the hearts of all the people and let them know you, can I, you and I can both believe to see the glory of God. You and I can believe to enter into the fullness of the finished work of Christ. And everything that he has provided for us belongs to us. We can receive it how? By faith. It's by faith we access the grace of God in which we stand. So let's go ahead and look here in, uh, I put together this emotional giants. We have a sheet out there. You can pick it up if you want, but I put it out here for you. We also will have enemies that will try to keep us out of our promised land. And these are emotional giants and mental giants, not the physical giants that they encountered when they got to the promised land. And they'll be there to try to keep us out so that we don't experience the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. And here they are listed for us. Number one, the Hittite stands for fear, intimidation, apprehension. This will try to keep us from experiencing what is ours, the benefits of the promised land. How many times do we see in scripture, fear not, fear not. God has not given us the spirit of fear. If we have fear, it is not from God. If we are intimidated, it is not from God. If we are apprehensive, it is not from God. That is not a spiritual force that comes from God. He gave us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we need not fear the enemy. We can believe, praise God, that by faith, fear is overcome. Perfect love casts out all fear. Fear has torment, but when we know how much God loves us in Christ, we fear not to take what belongs to us. We fear not to step out in any endeavor because we know wherever we step, he has already gone before us and he made provision for our success. We could walk up into our promised land. We can take a hold of what belongs to us because he hasn't given us this spirit of intimidation. But you know as well as I do, fear is around every corner. And it will try to keep us out of the blessings of God. Number two, the Hivite. Once again, these giants stand for emotional uh, situations we encounter in this life. But the Hivite, compromise. To accept a lower standard. In other words, we compromise certain principles. Why? The pressure is put on us. People put pressure on us. And sometimes we compromise some things. And it's always out there for us to be engaged in. We can if we want to. But God would have us not compromise. But pe be people of integrity. I'm not compromising my testimony just because I want, you want me to satisfy a need that you might have. I'm not going to do that. I can Ruin my testimony, tarnish my testimony, ruin my witness if I do that. So I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to hold the values that I hold to up high based on the word of God. I'm going to live my life by the standard that God has ordained for me and not by what anybody else thinks. I'm not going to compromise, but you know it's out there. 
And if we fall victim to compromise, that's one of the giants that will do what? Erode our faith. Number three, you have the parasite. This one stands for lack of commitment. That means the inability to see something through to the end. You start a project, but you don't have that spiritual fortitude to see it through to the end. We need to recognize that. Jesus said you don't start by plow plowing and then all of a sudden you hit a stump and you quit and you go back. But once again, it stands for this, a lack of commitment, a lack of follow through, the inability to continue on even though, so it got tough, but the tough get going when it gets tough. And we continue on. There'll be challenges along the way. We're smart enough to be aware of the fact that there's going to be challenges along the way, but we're not going to give up. We are going to see it through to the end. Why? Because Jesus provides the strength for us to do that. And then next, the Girgashite. This is the stranger. And what I get from this meaning of that name, Girgashite, the stranger, the stranger is someone basically who feels inferior. He feels detached. Yes, God will do it for everybody else, but not necessarily for me. Why? Because he sees himself in this wrong light. He sees other people maybe holier than he is. He sees others more worthy than he is. And so as a result, he kind of cowers away. Yes, I believe in it all. I know that God will do it for everyone, but he's detached. He's detached from his life. He doesn't see himself being victorious and walking in that kind of strength or spiritual power. And that's out there. I'll be honest with you. A lot are challenged with that. Many have an inferiority complex. Because of the fall of man, many think they're not good enough to walk with God. But aren't you glad that Jesus paved that way for us? Aren't you glad that he opened up the door for us to enter into the holiest place of all? And because of his work, because of what he's done, we can stand before that enemy and just say, you are a defeated foe. I refuse to entertain this any longer. If God will do it for anybody, he'll do it for me. And he always causes me to triumph. So, the next one is the Amorite. And this one is the murmurer, the complainer, the one that always speaks out against things. Always murmuring, always complaining, always finding fault with and all that. If you identify that in your life, correct yourself immediately. You notice what he said to those that murmured and complained. He was angry with their voice. He did not want to hear their complaints over and over and over again when he time after time and time again made himself known to them, drove out the enemy, defeated all the Egyptians. They saw it with their own eyes. And then part of the Red Sea, they saw that with their own eyes. They saw the provision that he provided for them and so on. And so he wants them to stop complaining and murmuring. Think about it. The moment they got across the Red Sea and saw all the enemy defeated, they complained about food and drink. I understand they were thirsty. I understand they were hungry. I understand those are powerful forces in the life of a person, right? Absolutely. But still, after all of what they saw, no wonder he could stand there and or God can speak to them and say, with all that you've seen, you think I can't provide food for you? In the wilderness? They actually said that. How can he provide a meal for us out here in the wilderness? Where are we going to find water to drink? Isn't that something? And so what does he do? He pours down all this food and the water from the rock. And still they don't believe. You know sometimes we hear people say. Boy if they just saw a miracle they'd believe. Not necessarily true. They saw Lazarus come out of a grave after four days and still went away in disbelief. Did they not? Absolutely. The next one you have the Canaanite. This one is someone who's really challenged with depression or being dejected and that sort of thing. And it's sad. They're, they have difficulty focusing because of these emotional feelings. What we have to remember is when we get saved, it doesn't mean that we're not going to be facing certain emotional feelings that try to do what destroy our walk with God so we all can be challenged to be oppressed to be depressed and have our heads hung low because of the circumstances of life but that's an enemy out there that wants to keep us out of the fullness of our blessings in Christ every one of these enemies have been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ as a matter of fact when he moved into our hearts he gave us a joy that's unspeakable that is full of glory 
And it's an enemy that's been defeated. And it's up to us to recognize that, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But look at the next one, the Jebusite. This one is weighed down by stress, anxiety. This one is always troubled. And anyone and everyone can fall victim to being anxious about things if we allow ourselves. Now, all of these emotional giants exist in the world today. People have fears about the end of the world. That's all we hear about, the end of the world. You know how many times Andrew has come up to me and said, Dad, all my friends are talking about is the end of the world. They heard someone else come up and say, once again, uh, Jesus is going to come. The day's already passed. And I explained to him, son, listen to me. Don't listen to any of it because when Jesus comes and raptures us out of here, there's a thousand years millennial reign of Christ. And then he's going to come in his second coming and so on and so forth. So don't even think about it. Don't even allow it to affect the way you think. And of course, he just gets upset with everybody that talks this way. Well, why are they saying it then? Why are people talking about it? Who knows? But you know what? All it does is breed fear. Fear made a lot of people rich. When I worked for a company, they wanted me to sell um, systems for a water system to protect, you know, from fire. I forget the name. What was the name of that? Vanguard. That's what it was. Vanguard. I was at Rama and I just needed a job. So I just showed up. It was a salesperson job from door to door selling Vanguard. And after going through the training process and all that, I got to a place. I just said, <clears throat> hmm, I, I'm, not, I'm not cut out for this. I'm not, first of all, I'm not that kind of a forceful person. And so I called the, the fellow that hired me, called him up on the phone and just says, I'm not going to be able to do this. The main reason why is because I saw the presentation that you want me to present to the people. And I said, you want me to sell fear, not a fire alarm. He said, precisely. We want you to make them so afraid of fire that they purchase this item. So they would show them all the different, you know, videos of people dying in fires and all that. And you're supposed to go to their house and present that. It's almost like you're a carrier of fear. And say, now watch this and make sure you buy Vanguard. I couldn't do it. Absolutely not. I'm not selling fear, I said. Well, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do, sell fear. And that's a lot of people have done, even in the body of Christ. They broke books based on fear. Y2K. People bought generators and bottled water and all kinds of things. Why? Based on fear. Well, that kind of thinking is wrong. Look, look at the right way to think. The right way to think is this. 2 Corinthians uh, yeah, chapter 10, verses 3, 3 through 5. The right way to think is here. The enemy has been defeated. Our promised land is within. In our spirit. And any and every thought that enters our mind that contradicts what Jesus has done for us is to be removed from our minds lest Satan build a stronghold of unbelief in our lives. So though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. Notice the process. Thought, imagination, stronghold. Thought, imagination, stronghold. If we allow the thinking in, we'll start to believe it. We'll start to say it. We'll imagine it. And then it becomes a satanic stronghold or a fortified place that Satan has in the mind of a person that enables him to control their lives with unbelief through fear. So it's up to us to do what they did under Joshua and not under Moses' leadership. 
When they started thinking in the first place, we need to do this. We must go spy out the land to really find out if it's the land that flows of milk and honey. And also to see who's in the land. They would have never done that. They would have, they would have taken that thought and cast it down before Satan would do what? Produce within their thinking process a stronghold. Imagination produces a stronghold and holds them in captivity. But you see what they did was entertain the thought, embrace the thought. They began to see themselves as grasshoppers. They imagined they would get destroyed and defeated there in the land. And so they said we can't do this. And they forfeited the promised land through fear and unbelief. So we need to cast down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And when the devil says you can't, you say I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. When he says you'll never see the glory of God, I believe I see the glory of God. When he says you're incapable of doing this, I'm capable because he's made me well able to overcome whatever it is I encounter in this life. So we start thinking right. Notice it exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What did God say? I need to know what God said so I can cast down the thought. That thought does not harmonize with the word of God. And so therefore I'm casting it down before it becomes, becomes an image. Have you ever had a, a call late at night when your child was out and you were concerned about their, well, their well-being and whereabouts? The phone rings late at night. What's the first thought that comes into your head? Uh-oh, something's wrong. Now, today we've got cell phones and all that. We can make contact, but I remember the day when you didn't have a cell phone. But you could put a dime in one of these things called a what kind of phone was it? Right? A pay phone. But your child's not going to hear a pay phone ring somewhere. And so there you are with your what? Thoughts. And all of a sudden, he begins to paint a picture or an image of your child in trouble or having a problem or in a wreck or whatever or whatever. And this thing is just attacking you. The thought that a doctor says, this is the situation. This is the problem. It becomes then a picture or an image. You see yourself with it. In many cases, people have planned funerals that way. Thinking that, oh, you said this, and so therefore the thought starts coming, and I'm not going to live. I've got to prepare myself for death, and, and all this picture is painted within your mind. The thought produces an image, produces a stronghold, and demonic activity takes place. So our thinking. But secondly, right believing. Right believing is just as what they said under Joshua. Look, God is for us. Romans chapter 8. Verses 31 and 32. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What a thought to produce an image. To produce a stronghold for God in our lives. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What a thought. What a wonderful thought. How shall he not? So imagine if we were to take that thought, think about that, paint a picture on the canvas of our heart, seeing God fighting for us, God defending us, God going before us, praise God, and driving out the enemy. What a difference it would make, wouldn't you agree? So we see here, it shall be, even as it was spoken by Almighty God. He is on my side. He is for me. He is with me. He is in me. He will defend me. He will fight for me. He will go before me. And praise God, there's nothing to fear. Thirdly, right and wrong speaking. Talk about speaking right. Our thinking affects our believing, affects our speaking. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it is so important that we get into our hearts the word of God so our mouth can speak. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. This is the apostle Paul. We having the same spirit of faith. According as it is written. I believed. Therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. See believing leads to what? Speaking. I believe. Paul said I believe it shall be even as it was told me. Out there on that ship. Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. 
So you see, my thinking is to lead me to right believing, which is to lead me to right speaking. And I'm going to start speaking. We're going to start speaking right things. In Proverbs, we are told that God rejoices when our lips speak right things. Now, mind you, this is not mind over matter. This is not positive confession. This is embracing the word of God and through his word, painting pictures upon the canvas of our heart that produce the reality of who he is and what he's done for us in this life. And through faith, not unbelief, we enter into the fullness of our blessings because we declare it to be true. In Amos 3.3, we are told, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? And the answer is no. I agree with God. I can choose to agree with the enemy. I can choose to agree with fear, compromise, doubt, unbelief, being a stranger, intimidated. I can be a, a, someone who has inferiority complex and all that. Or I can say, you know what? Jesus did all that for me. Jesus defeated every enemy for me. I am not going to embrace that kind of mentality any longer. I'm not going to see myself defeated. I'm not going to see myself overcome. I see myself victorious because he says I'm more than a conqueror. So I'm going to walk in agreement with God's word and what he says about me to be true. That's my position. Now we're talking about getting into the promised land by mixing faith with what? The good news of the gospel. And look at the last one finally. Right having. This is what we're all looking for. Remember Mark eleven twenty three 23, that wonderful verse of Scripture that says, Ye shall have whatsoever he what? Say it. Mark eleven twenty three. 23. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith, so come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he what? Saith. Notice, we don't start with saying. We start with thinking. We start with believe, go to believing saying and then having he shall have whatsoever he saith remember Naaman the leper who was told to go dip in the river and he said I thought I thought I thought he said what he thought and what he thought was wrong he thought he should be able to come there and receive the accolades he deserved he believed that his waters where he came from are better than the waters of Jordan. He said, I'm out of here. And refused to do the humble thing. And walked away. And what did he have? Nothing. No victory. No healing from, from um, tuberculosis and all that. Or leprosy, I'm sorry. Leprosy, right? But all of a sudden... His servant says what? Oh, master. He gets into thinking differently, doesn't he? He just asked you to dip in the river and you'll be healed of leprosy. I don't see anything wrong with that. He changed his thinking. He changed his believing. I, I guess you're right. I'm sure he changed his speaking. You know what? You make a lot of sense. I think I'll go do that. And then he does it. And what does he have he has what he said. But it started with thinking, then believing, then speaking, and then the having part. And that's exactly what faith is all about. Now, we know the story of David and Goliath. And oftentimes, I'll ask some of our, our youth, our young people, how did he, how did David kill Goliath? And they'll say, with stones. I said, no, with words. They don't understand that concept, but we have to teach them that concept. You may have used stones, but it was words. Look at, look at here in 1 Samuel 17. It was words. You know the dialogue before Saul and all that. But notice this dialogue here with Goliath, who came and said, I'm going to cut your head off and etc. Then said David to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied, this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear 
for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. There was no sword. And of course, you know, he got his sword, cut his head off and all that. But notice the words that he chose. Notice the word that he spoke. And really to find out the source of those words, you've got to go back when he was taking care of his father's sheep. We've got to see how he understood the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. I've got someone to fight for me, to defend me, to help me, to lead me, to direct me, to guide me and all that. I am not afraid. I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid. I don't have any fear about this giant. Quickly we see him without fear facing that giant. You don't just muster that up overnight. When you face that difficult situation. To him it was an unconscious act of faith. Because he knew his God so well. And finally uh, we defeat the giants with words ourselves. Look at Matthew's gospel chapter 17. These are the words of Jesus. He said to them. Because of your unbelief. Why couldn't they cast out? Because of your unbelief. For verily I say to you. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. You shall what? You shall what? You see what we say is so important. You will say. Faith is released with words. You shall say unto this mountain. Remove hence to yonder place. And it shall remove. And nothing. Nothing shall be impossible Unto you. Oh my. Mm. Did you get that? Nothing. Nothing. If we think right and believe right. We'll speak right and we'll have right. That's the law of faith. Amen. Let's all stand together.